It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another podcast. This is the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda. We're here today with my mentor in sales, Rob Fisherman. And it's so interesting how people meet. Rob is, is just a great guy here on Long Island where I live. He is a partner and, and also a, a trainer with Sandler Sales in Hop Hog, Long Island. Rob has been around sales for 35 years. And he just finished a book, which we're going to talk about, all about how to survive uh, in a really in an Amazon world if you have a retail store. So Rob has coached and trained and mentored sales and sales management teams, as well as executive leadership folks through the Sandler system. Matter of fact, I just signed up my son with the Sandler system so he could get his training. It's a lifelong skill. I highly recommend it. Rob comes from a different background, though. Rob was involved with the jewelry business. He has a degree in fine arts, which is crazy. He's also a fantastic musician. We're going to talk about that in a minute as well. And he has held the realm to really helping build with Rich Isaacs in in Hop Hog Long Island, this phenomenal Sandler sales training or Sandler training business. So Rob and I I know his wife, Lisa, and I know I've met Ben and the other son, Alex, I have not met, but all here on Long Island with me. So Rob, I want to welcome you to the uh, Franchise Academy Well, thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. And uh, thanks for an awesome introduction. I've never heard anyone say it as well as you have. Well, thank you. Your friendship and your mentorship has meant a lot to me over the past 10 years now. So funny story, the way Rob and I met was I was at a uh, Chamber of Commerce meeting. We met, we just talked a little bit about business. Next thing I know, he calls me with this fabulous message. He, He leaves me a voicemail, very short and sweet to the point. I was like, I got to call this guy back. And he invited me into the office to sit in on one of the sales training classes. And he said, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know if this will work for you. Probably not. You never know. (laughs) But maybe uh, you should learn a little bit about Sandler. And and so I was like, okay, but I really can't afford it. And, you know, we went through this whole conversation and he said, you know, we can help you out. You know, we'll we'll give you, and, and this is, this was a long time ago. So October of 2009, he made a special program for me for payment, which I literally found in my in my notes this weekend as I was preparing for the podcast, literally wrote this thing up for me and said, come on, come on in. We're going to help you. By month six, you're not going to worry about paying your Sandler tuition. And he was right. And with six, six months in, I was uh, one of the top, if not the number one salesperson or placement person in uh, Franchise, the company I am affiliated with in the franchise world. So thank you so much for that, Rob. Well, thank you, Tom. What what were some of your big takeaways from the the program (laughs) 10 years ago? (laughs) So I'm interviewing you, man. (laughs) So, uh, but I want to answer the question because it's important. You know, what I took away, the biggest thing, and this is really, you know, as I think about my son starting his journey in, in the sales world, it's confidence one word, confidence, I learned. So I had a system and it's a great system, but it was a system that most other people were using as well. 
So we, I got confident in being able to, you know, get up my guts to actually talk to someone who's a high D person uh, in the disc profile, somebody who's very like, now, 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 what do you got? What do you got? You know, when you get somebody on the phone like that, you're like, oh my God, you know, and instead of shying away, I, I dove right in. I was like, I don't think I have anything for you, pal. And, and, and like, you know, before Sandler, I couldn't say something like that. So that in, in one word, confidence. Well said. I think it's great. So how did you get into Sandler? I mean, you're like in the jewelry world, uh, you're yeah. in art, you know, like what happened? It's amazing when you talk to people and ask them, what was your path that led you to this moment? And, and you know, with your history that brought you to where you are today. In a nutshell, I'm a musician, a musician at heart, and uh, found myself in the family business, which I did for 35 years in retail jewelry, spent a number of years working on it. I was involved with peer accountability groups, how to improve our marketing and sales. I had a wonderful team of salespeople. I enjoyed the whole sales training piece. I ended up selling the business. And when I sold the business, uh, it was actually through music that I had an introduction <laughs> through my synagogue to a very close friend of mine now who uh, happens to be uh, a cardiologist and a drummer and keeps a good beat. So <laughs> we, we oh, ended up playing in a blues band together and we just struck up this instant friendship. And wouldn't you know it that his wife is an executive uh, with, a, with a local Long Island company. And she asked me, once I sold my business, what's your next step? Well, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, for me, it was really the whole art of the sale and getting involved with training my people. And she said, oh, sales training? I said, yes. Yeah. She says, oh, do you know Rich Isaac? I said, no. Sandler? No. <laughs> she said, I don't know, but I think you guys need to meet. So she calls Rich and she said, I don't know if there's anything here, but I think you guys should meet. So anyway, I met Rich, and uh, from that moment on, we've been working together now for 12 years. Yeah, it's you know, amazing. And, uh, it's just like a match made in heaven. So uh, it, it's all good on that respect. It, it really is. It's, it's really a phenomenal organization that you guys have built. I've seen it over the past, you know, 10 years now go from, you know, you two guys and like one lady in the front to you have a whole team. You had to blow out the walls in the office. I mean, it's... Still doing more. Yeah, it's, 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 we're still doing more on the growth side. But uh, listen, they, you know, Tom, we've had clients like you, you know, and I'm not blowing smoke here when I say that this is not for everyone. This is, you know, in a case for you, it was, hey, I recognize it's something I'd like to work on, which is part of the success mindset is I'm constantly learning. I think it was Michelangelo that said at the age of 87, I'm still learning. You know, mm -hmm. so you never shut off the switch for being a better version of Tom Scarta. And that's read, you know, to led to you improving yourself in the way that you develop business. You're still using the line, you're the e-harmony of business. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what a great tagline. Yeah. You know, matching people uh, based on skills, personality, and goals, like the e-harmony of business. Yep. Uh, I use it so yeah, many it times. It off your tongue, like effortlessly. Well, now it does. Yeah. Uh, after years of practice in, in the classroom and role playing. But, you know, co coincidentally, I, just as an aside, I was actually contacted by eHarmony, their lawyers, saying that I can't put that in print. <laughs> so I said it so many times, they found out. <laughs> right, you learned your lesson. Yeah. 
Okay, so I don't so I don't print it, but I, I say it when I'm at a networking meeting, and yeah. and and people may not remember my name. Like I was just at a uh, a thing with five one six Edge, you know, uh, David Gusson, and uh, he expanded to uh, Queen seven one eight now. So I'll go out there, people don't know my name, but they remember the eHarmony of business guy. It's memorable. <laughs> but you know, one aspect of what you do, Tom, this is really, and I, I think back to the music piece about the art of deliberate practice. Hmm. And when you think about you know, what is it that helped you in your success? It's really been around, you use the word confidence. But I would add a piece to that. It is the development of mastery. And, and deliberate practice is, that's the way that we improve and to get to a level of unconscious competence. And that's what you accomplish with your e-harmony line, if you will, right? That's, it just came from practice. And how often do people that we meet that are involved in business development that truly practice their craft and practice their art? Yeah. Like, how many? There's not many, and it's a shame, especially in, and it doesn't matter really what profession, but there there are certain professions, like an accountant, as an example, has to go back and get continuing credits, and of course, doctors and pilots, most people in their profession don't continue to learn, but but my mentor on the franchise side, uh, Jeff Elgin, the founder and, and president of Franchise, always says, you know, if, if you're not doing anything, or you have, you're in a car on a drive, throw in like, you know, some motivational tape. Yeah. Zig Ziglar, I mean, whoever you could find, great to listen stuff. to something. That's great stuff. Love it. Absolutely love it. So tell, tell me about now your book. You just released a book I mean, literally last week. What's yeah, the title? Cool. Thanks. So uh, the book is here. It's called Retail Success in an Online World. And what it really is all about, Tom, is the, one of the lines in the book is that change is mandatory. Growth is optional. Mm. Or the brick and mortar retailer, no matter what size business they are, there have been such profound changes that for the average retailer who's staying as business as usual mm. is going to find that they're really losing market share. Why? Technology is the largest disruptive force in the world of business. And the other side to it is the customer experience itself. So let me give you examples. If you think about now, the online shopping experience, and the ability to be able to maximize social selling, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, for example, other websites that can be used. The online experience, I mean, you think about what it's going to be like in five to 10 years out, there's probably going to be avatars. Obviously, a lot of websites now have chat rooms where if you have a quick question, they'll answer it for you to personalize the online experience. In my experience, though, if you need to look at a 65-inch television set, our options are limited at this point because I'm the type of shopper that I need to ask some questions and I may need to talk to somebody for what their suggestions are and their guidance. So in other words, the other half of the equation is going to be, I need some human interaction. And that means that I'm going to walk in the door with some expectations. What's interesting about this, and it's in the book, is the first eight seconds of an interaction with a customer is a make it or break it scenario. So let me give you an example. My wife and I went shopping for a car. Not unusual. We walked in, and within eight seconds, this salesman blew it. Here's what he did. He uh, basically said, hi, I'm, I'm Bob. I'm making up the name. Hi, I'm Bob. And we said, uh, great. Hi, hi, nice to meet you. My wife says, well, I want to know about that car. And the guy goes into a dissertation about all the features and benefits. Well, let me tell you about this car. And he started with the pitch. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the pitch is, hey, I learned all these things. It's time for me to spew out this information to show how awesome I am as a salesperson. So he starts in with the, well, there's all the, uh, let me tell you about these uh, safety features that are now on this model car. And my wife basically says, with all due respect, I don't really need to hear about that. I don't really care about the crash safety features. Right? Hmm. And he says, so safety is not important to you? <laughs> I think it was all over. It was one of those, it, it, I don't even think he realized what he did at that point. Well, he must have because we walked out. And the other side is, so what would the initial eight seconds look like? And you as a consumer, the last time you were in a retail store, can you think about the experience? Was it below average? Was it average? Or did it exceed your expectations? And what I'm talking about here is about exceeding expectations. A person who works in our office, she actually went and bought a hot tub. And she said, Rob, I have to tell you this story. It was the most amazing incredible experience that I had with the salesperson. And I said, well, what made it so great? She said, I don't know. I love this person. So I asked her, would you be okay if I interviewed her for the book? Sure. So I had uh, probably a 30 minute call with this salesperson who was delightful. And what she brought up to me is, I said, she doesn't really sell hot tubs. What she sells is experiences. And part of what she was talking about is for a mom and dad that doesn't have much time with their teenage kids who are looking to grab their cell phone and go somewhere else and not be with the parents, the hot tub to her is reminiscent of sort of truth serum, she calls it. Like she can get the kids in the hot tub with them to have some alone time. So she sells that experience, not necessarily the details of what temperature the hot tub reaches and how many cubic feet of water that it keeps in it. It was all about selling the romance here. And back in my experience in jewelry, it was the same thing. It was the romance of the sale, which is so important in retail. So my point is that if we're embracing an online experience and we are maximizing the opportunity for when customers walk in the door to greet them, you said before about communication style, you know, that D or dominant, direct, high-charging person, you know, what have you got? I just need the best price and let me get out of here versus somebody who's interactive and friendly and engaging, maybe sold a different way, to somebody who's very nice and patient, but we may not know what they're thinking, to that fourth person who might be very analytical, detail-oriented, facts and figures, and they're the ones that may do their research. So that experience of exceeding expectations, it all comes from the ability of that retail salesperson to be armed with all the tools they need to, again, not just me, but exceed expectations. And I'm sure you can think of your own personal experiences where you walked out and thought, wow, that was an incredibly awesome experience. My, my wife just needed new eyeglasses. So we, we went locally this past weekend. And I was watching this woman work with another customer as my wife and I were walking around the store. And she had a way about her where, where both my wife and I had thought, that's the person who want to help us. And at the end, we walked out, spent more than we thought, but loved the experience because mm-hmm. we felt as if she listened to us, she understood us, and not once did we feel the high pressure. You know the rule, Tom, people love to buy, yet hate to be sold. That's right. So I, I don't need that whole hard sales pitch coming my way. Yeah. No, there's no question about that, but most people don't realize that in the sales role. And I think a lot of people end up in sales by accident at the beginning 
And if they stick with it, they try to figure it out and they realize, well, if I get a couple of really good sales, I can make you know more money than having just a regular paycheck with commissions. But they never really get the idea that it's more of a relationship than it is, you know, and I just know from my own experience before my my training with you guys, with you and Rich, is that I felt like I had to tell everybody about how much I know about franchising. And it came from a place of fear. It came from a place of, you know, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And and so instead of me asking, you know, why do you want to buy a franchise? I'd be like, let me tell you why you should buy a franchise. Yeah. And and it's really unfortunate. And I have to, since you brought up the car thing, I, I brought this up in, in class. I don't know if you remember, but buying a car is one of the most loathed experiences for people. They hate shopping for a car, but they love buying a car. People love to have a new car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of our culture in America. It's all about vehicles. And it becomes such a bad experience. And you have to ask yourself why. But one day I, I did walk into a dealership and I'll never forget it because instead of the regular like, hey, uh, what are you looking at today? What could, you know, what, what, you know, all that kind of weird sales stuff. The guy, the guy said, hey, good afternoon. Let me ask you a question. What's the most important thing in a car for you? And I stopped in my tracks. I was like, wait a second. Did this guy go to Sandler? Because <laughs> that, that was a great question. Because, And I bet he was just trying to save himself time. But actually, I was like, wow, that's that's a great question. What's really important to me are, you know, the bells and whistles and the blah, 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 blah. I don't care about the engine. And, you know, I used to not care about safety. Now I do as I get older. Sure. But. It was just a different approach and and I I really loved it. What's interesting about that approach, and I encourage this with anybody that brings me ideas and says, well, we'll try it this way. And I will always say, go for it. Go for it. What's the worst thing that will happen? Death or dismemberment? You know, it it may may not work. So if it doesn't work, lesson learned. Mm -hmm. It leads back to the whole idea of defining what failure is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and, and if we met people in this world that have a fear of failing. So they tend to put some shortcuts in so not having to face that failure. And for anybody watching this that has, you know, listen, has anybody ever been rejected? Uh, What happens when we get rejected over and over and over again? How does that start to impact us? Yep. So uh, do we treat failure as an event? Mm. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's over. It's concluded. And does the champion learn the lesson from the failure? And by the way, some of it may be trying different openings with customers to engage them. Uh, Many years ago, uh, my 31-year-old son was in a stroller at two years old, and we were walking one of the super malls in the Southeast, and this young lady comes up, and she just starts, I'm literally just bends down and starts talking to our son, right? And starts engaging the kid. Now, what are we supposed to think? We're thinking we like her, right? She was very nice. And she just engaged us in a conversation that was very approachable, very unassuming, friendly, warm, not pushy. And it was a very, very effective way to start. And I'm sure she did the same thing. She's tried different ways to approach people. I always encourage that. And you remember this from the class. When people come here, I want to hear about your successes. Tell me about your wins, And the wins just don't mean making the sale. It means, did you exercise guts? Did you ask some gutsy questions? Did you take some customers to know? In other words, if it's not qualified, if it's going to be an N-O, no, let's K-O-N-O-W earlier on. Then we'll talk about the problems. What are some problems that you're running into? And part of this is, if we're really truly trying, 
and really truly trying to push the envelope if we put ourselves in that mindset. For people that have no problems that are sitting in a session, they may not be trying as hard as they could. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about. If they're pushing the envelope and really, truly working on stuff, saying, you know, hey, I ran into an issue here. Well, why? What happened in that case? So that's that's another way to look at the success or uh, critical success factors there. Yeah. I, and, f- you know, fear of failure was always one of my biggest hangups. And, and it's really important to get past that because failure is where you really, really learn and, you know, in, in my case, I had a great success with my first franchise called Maui Wowie. And then I had a miserable failure with my second franchise. And I was always afraid to talk about that with my candidates. And now I kind of open up with it yeah, and, and use it to my advantage to, to say, hey, listen, I could tell you stories and teach you lessons about not about what not to do when you're buying a franchise. I, I didn't learn that much from the success, but I learned a lot enough to write a book about in my failed franchise and so published author tom that's you yeah just so trying to make it happen talk about the definition of credibility how many of us have been in a situation where we have a salesperson working with us and we might find ourselves doubting their credibility with us Mm. in other words we ask this question all the time about what is your strategy to develop maintain and create trust because that, that's, the, that's the currency right there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we talk about credibility and credibility for some people. And back to your story before about that glaring failure, if you will, that came after a big success. It humanizes you. It makes you appear approachable and real. And even in sales, what is credibility? Credibility is defined as saying something seemingly not in your best interest prior to saying everything in your best interest. So as a franchise consultant, you work with a lot of people, and I know you truly mean this by saying, hey, hey, Bob, Mary, as we go through this process, let me share with you a couple things. You may come to the conclusion that this may not be right for you, right? Obviously, we're very good at what we do. We've helped a lot of people. We're not for everyone. Mm -hmm. If we get to this point where we find that it really isn't going to work between us, I'm going to let you know, and I'm hoping you do the same for me, right? So the question here is more or less credibility based on that statement, right? right? And it's, it's disarming honesty. We're not going to chase our tails, you know, calling you every six months. Did you, did you, in the status update voicemail that's led, I'm just checking on the status. It's all about how are we doing here? You know, at the end of a meeting or end of a phone call, and are we communicating that to each other? But I think it all comes from that degree of credibility we establish. Yeah, there's no question about it. And what I use, you know, I, as a variation, what, I, what I've really developed through our training at, at Sandler is I share with folks as, as soon as possible that there's going to be definitely one of three outcomes through the process. You know, one is you're going to figure out franchising is not for you and that's cool. We shake hands. We're still friends. I send you a holiday card in December and everything is great. Mm-hmm. The second thing that can happen is I might see that you're not a fit for franchising and you have to be okay with hearing that. And then the third thing is we could find you the perfect franchise. You decide to dive in, build it and live happily ever after. Yeah. You know, hearing that Tom, it's just disarming honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to now think of it this way. If you only gave me one option, which is to do business with you, what's going through my mind? 
Right. It's just shyster. Yeah. It's like, like what, what's going on here? And, yeah. and that's where the walls start to close in. And that's where, and I would ask this to any question uh, to anybody who's in training, has anybody have had an opportunity where a prospect lied to them? You're right. And, and inevitably, like you're smiling now, it comes up all the time. Right. So then what is it that we're doing that causes a prospect to not be honest? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from the pressure that's put on them. That the only way we're going to resolve this conversation now, Tom, is if you buy from me. Right. And I'm not going to accept anything else. Right. And that's where people find it's either fight or flight. And in various cases, some of them, as we know, will fight back and say, no, 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 stop. Or in many cases, the prospect will officially join the witness protection program. Right. Means that <laughs> they're the ones that don't return phone calls. Uh, and after valiant attempts as the salesperson to get them back on the phone, they just don't respond. Yeah. It's just, you know, and, and the thing is, people will buy or not buy for their reasons, not for your reasons. Well said. Right. So that's somewhere. It's a Sandler rule. You know, in my position anyway, there's no reason to chase anybody. If they're going to buy, you know, you just have to provide them with some great value, some great education, let them really understand and get as close to what it feels like to own a franchise without actually owning it. And then they'll, they could make a decision from there. There's nothing I could do in my power, no matter how much I know about franchising, to talk to some talk somebody into buying a franchise. It ain't never going to happen. And what's interesting is that people who are the ones that are flight-oriented versus fight-oriented with that pressured close is what leads to an outcome. You know, we, I just did a session last week on the outcomes that a proper sales process, as you know, is a continuation of what I call mutually agreed, clear next steps, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did this training at a client of mine last week, mutually agreed, clear next step, not our clear next step. And the prospect doesn't know what the clear next step is, is that at the end of a phone conversation or meeting, are we on the same page? So it leads to a conversation of what are the four possible outcomes, right? And, and I asked this question, and these are people that have not really worked with us yet. And what they will say is, well, yes, you know, yes is a great outcome. Sure. Yes is a great outcome. That's where, you know, the cash register rings, life is good, uh, customer is satisfied. And what's the second best outcome? No. No. It's, it's, it's a hard no. Hey, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. We're not going to be moving forward. And how many people are okay with the no? Meaning they've got it up front, which leads to the third, which is, and a lot of times when I ask this question, I hear the words, maybe. (laughs) Okay, so what does maybe mean? Well, I really like my presentation. I really like what we have. I think we got a really good shot. I guess we should follow up. I think eventually we'll win this business. And there's a case where there was not a mutually agreed clear next step. Why? It may have been for a couple of reasons. The biggest culprit is that, culprit, excuse me, is that the salesperson didn't ask those questions. Right. They, pro- they produce what's called mutual mystification. <laughs> they think one thing at the end of a meeting or phone call, prospects thinking something else. Leads to the land of maybe. So it's followed by a lot of conjecture. I think this is going to happen by when. I have a good feeling about this. And in great cases, some sales managers might ask them, 
the ultimate question, which should never be asked, that's in parentheses. So how'd the meeting go? But what is that going to lead to? Right. It's a great meeting. Oh, it was a great meeting. Oh, they, they love our stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna fo- I'm telling you, we got this one in the back, right? They, they got nothing. And then finally, if we could move those maybes into a mutually agreed clear next step, what it does is it cleans up everybody's business forecasting and pipelines. And then the last outcome is this one. For those that have tried hard, valiant efforts, and failed for whatever reason, it didn't work. Was there a lesson learned? Mm -hmm. If they're walking away with a valuable lesson, is it really a failure? Because they're going to come down the same road again. If they're trying just as hard, they're going to be at the same fork in the road. And maybe last time they went to the left, maybe this time they'll go to the right with using a different behavior or technique. Yeah, well, people hang on and, and they're smoking hopium, right? Hoping that uh, they're going to get the sale. Yeah. And maybe land and maybe land is, is just a wasteland of people stoned on hopium. Yep. Stoned on hopium. <laughs> you know, just hoping it's going to happen. There's a song about that. Stoned, right. Stoned on hopium. Yeah. I'm just hearing some Grateful Dead in my head right now. There yeah. you go, man. Cool, man. <laughs> so, and I was just explaining to my son over the weekend. You know, he's living in Denver now and, and he's working for a, comp- a great company called uh, Farrell's Extreme Body Shaping. And it's not a gym, but it's a body transformation center. And, and I said, you know, w- one of the bad things that happened to me years ago when I first started uh, franchise consulting is that I had a candidate who went dead, didn't hear from them, you know, just not answering me, calling me back. And then one day, about a month, six weeks later, I pick up the phone just randomly and call the person and just say, yeah, I'm not going to get him anyway. And the lady answers the phone. And uh, I just said, yeah, you know, I'm just checking in. And she said, I'm glad that you called. I'm going to buy that franchise. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, that's great. But now in retrospect, as, as a, you know, professional Sandler person is, is it was the worst thing that could have happened because then for the next 10 years, I was hoping that that would happen all the time when somebody said maybe, and it never did ever again. Yeah, you hear the word just, Tom? Just is such a, we, we have an expression here, which is to be unjust. And, uh, <laughs> that, that as any selling professional is to eradicate the word just from your vocabulary. And I did. Yeah. I, oh, my. You learned a lesson. So many people will say, yeah, I'm just following up or I'm just calling to <sighs> see or I'm just in the neighborhood. I just thought I'd swing by and. Yeah, forget it, it, just it takes that level, equal level stature, and it just—it's an uneven. It's just, and it's try. I can't stand the word try. Yeah, you know, it just, it's just those those things drive me. Well, there's Yoda. That's do or do not. There is no try. Exactly. No, no greater words have been said, in my opinion, uh, outside of uh, the Bible or the Torah. But um, <laughs> I think it's a great lesson, and there's so many more to talk about, but that's going to have to be another podcast. So I wanted to know more about the book. So where can people get that book today? So thank you for asking. You could actually go and download a free chapter from this book. If you go to our website, which is located at www.legend.sandler.com. Again, that's www.legend.sandler.com. And uh, you can download that free chapter. And we're always posting stuff on uh, social media. 
you know, in terms of some articles that are associated with the book and the concept. Um, I've been contacted by a lot of people in retail just about as they see the the shift of the model of technology and the in-store experience. I, I put something in the book about, you know, what is an effective retail sales process? And what I put in the book is that it is an ongoing series of authentic, real-time conversations in which the customer's expectations are consistently exceeded through a well-modeled, skillfully crafted series of consciously designed interactions that take into account basic operating principles of human behavior and psychology on both the buyer side and the seller side. So in other words, it's not a script. It's not something you improvise either or winging it. It's never high pressure. And it's not a default setting that connects you to what was familiar or comfortable two years ago. I've met people in my training, and I will ask them how long they've been in sales. And sometimes people will say, been in sales 20 years. And I listen to them sell, and I ask myself, well, have they been in sales one year, 20 times? In (laughs) other words, that they've never really gotten any better, kind of like my golf swing. Uh, but I think that that is, is an important part of this element of the book is really about behavioral change and also the types of questions that great retail salespeople are asking. The equivalent or metaphor here is used in artist palette. Uh, in other words, you know what it's like. I don't know if you've ever been interrogated. You know, where were you here? Where were you there? I think your wife is a former law enforcement uh, officer. So it's that ability to ask detailed questions, which can be off-putting for some people. So the art of asking great questions is starting with a wide brush, painting that vision. You know, what does that vision look like? If it's for looking for a new television set, looking for a new car, looking for a new watch or piece of jewelry, all of that is what's your vision? What does that look like? And obviously getting permission to ask those questions and then proceeding with asking more detailed questions to learn more. What we've learned about this is the customer feels listened to Mm -hmm. and Trust gets established, never pushing the agenda, learning more about their tastes and what it's like. Um, and it's just such an important part of it. it. It really is. And it's it's as you're asking questions, what I have found, it becomes a real bonding experience. Yeah. Think about it. When somebody's asking you questions about your life, you know, you like it a lot and you come away saying that's the best conversation I ever had. Meanwhile, they didn't talk. You did the talking. And and so, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of psychology books and self-help books that are based all about that and sales. And Well, yeah. I mean, think about that. This person is engaging the customer to talk about themselves. That's the best possible place to be. That's amazing. So one of the things I've learned also is in this business here at Sandler and my ability to take it back to my retail roots, it's shocking to me how few retailers are doing proactive lead generation. Mm-hmm. And most of them are still relying on marketing to bring people in the door. I remember back in the retail days, we used to measure door door pulls. You know, how many times the door opened on a you know a weekday and a weekend. You know, presumably Saturdays was our busiest day. But now I think about that now is that now there's more and more people that are getting involved in local networking groups that are retail establishments. They're making connections. They're also getting involved to form strategic alliances mm-hmm. uh, and, and that the, the really well-rounded retail selling professionals, one who knows other people that are in similar 
non-competing businesses that could help refer people to other stores. Um, and that's another one of those wow experiences where, uh, you know, people that just know other people. It's And rather just not relying on the entire bucket of marketing to drive leads in the door, but rather more of a well-executed, uh, long-range business development plan. You know, you just have such a great wealth of experience and, and you communicate it so well. I don't suppose that you're open to speaking engagements for organizations or associations or anything like that, are you? Uh, no, not really. I'm only really kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I love getting in front of audiences. I do what's called entertainment, that I am a performer at heart. Mm-hmm. So if I have an opportunity to get in front of a group, I'm actually going to be in front of uh, the attorney accountants networking group on Thursday morning. And they want me to talk to them about not only for themselves, but their clients about how do I increase revenue this year? What are some new strategies I can be looking to to do? And we were sort of the research center here. We're hearing about a lot of new techniques and strategies that people can use. But uh, in in any event, I'm I'm happy to come and speak to any kind of group that uh, would want to have me as a speaker. Yeah, and and Rob is really a great speaker. I've seen him speak aside, outside of the classroom, you know, many, many times. So I definitely encourage you to do that. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Rob? My email or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, it's it's easy enough. You know, my profile should come up easily. Email is rob.fishman at sandler.com. That's my email. That's great. And I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. We're also very active on LinkedIn with uh, putting video content, throwing a lot of information out there. I just did a bunch of videos for a sales management minute for those that are business owners or sales managers, giving them little clues and cues. I just did a video on the four hats of great sales leaders. Most people only wear one. There's actually four. There's the hat of supervisor, the hat of coach, mentor, and trainer and their ability to be able to navigate those different hats. Yeah, really important and great, great, great content out there. Rob, let me ask you this. What is one myth about sales or sales training that you would like to bust right here, right now? So that's a great question, Tom. Very often people will say, well, what are some techniques? We need some closing techniques. And when I hear that, you know, well, give me, just give me like a whole list of closing techniques. My question usually is, tell me why closing is an issue. (laughs) And it usually leads back a couple of steps to, in many cases, an opening issue. In other words, were they qualified or disqualified in the first sense of the word? The other half of this is around technique is only one of three major parts of the sales process. Technique is probably, I'm going to put it in third place in terms of how important it is. Nope. I'm going to go to first place. And that's all about mindset, attitude, conviction, belief. The average human mind processes 60,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. On average of those 60,000 thoughts, I think 72 to 78% of those thoughts are self-limiting. They're probably not going to return my call. They're probably not going to get back to me. They're probably not going to, I'm probably not going to make the sale. I'm probably going to have to drop my price, right? (laughs) So a lot of that thought that just is is debilitating for a lot of people. Uh, People that get constant rejection, how do they deal with that? Are they taking the rejection personally? Or are they saying, hey, can I separate out as a human being? I know I've got my self-worth, 
even though I may not have performed that well in my role. Mm-hmm. Now I go down to the other part of the triangle, which is around behavior. And behavior is just all about having goals. We have a saying, which is if you don't have your own plan, you're usually part of someone else's. And, and are, are we putting together a cohesive long-term plan? Can we think out two or three years or five years from today and really envision what our life looks like? Or is it, thank God it's Wednesday, thank God it's Friday, right? Mm-hmm. And that ability to really look long-term, now you see there's now a triangle and a flywheel. Mindset, how I believe, I see myself, my self-concept, behavior, goals, action steps. What are some plans that I take in order for me to be more successful? Very often, a lot of salespeople struggle in that area. They don't do enough of activity, which yields achievement. And then finally, now we'll roll in the technique. So as you can see, I've got working all three parts here to really help me be the best version of myself. So that's something that you've learned quite well, Mr. Scarta. Well, thank you. Rob, what's um, some last words of guidance or advice you would give to the... uh podcast listeners today. Sure. Examine your level of accomplishment. There are some great books out there. The first book I would recommend is written by a martial artist by the name of George Leonard. The book is called Mastery. And no matter what you take on, whether it's martial arts, whether it's uh, taking on golf, taking tennis, piano, whatever it is, that there are degrees of mastery and it's formed by the level of the plateaus that you have as you improve. Learning is not straight line up. It is meant to be that we all hit plateaus before we go and grow to the next level. The shortening of those plateaus is part of what the goal is here. So let me give you these four stages. For anybody involved in sales, there's the blind spots. This is the first level. This is called unconscious incompetence. We don't know what we don't know. Um, I, I actually observed the person who was recording a video who was a sales guy that kept clicking his pen and had no idea he was doing it. That's a blind spot. For some, it may be that they talk too much. For some, it may be they don't ask enough questions. And they guess saying, well, I don't know where I am at the end of the sales opportunity because they didn't perform these things because they don't know about that. So that's the first level. The next level of improvement is Conscious incompetence. I now know I'm not good at these things. That's growth. That the, the discovery of that next step, people think, well, yeah, that, that's moving it along to the next level. Now, what's the definition of insanity, Tom? Doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. So this is where that person now moves to the third level of conscious competence. Mm-hmm. Maybe now I will learn a better way of asking questions. Maybe now I will set upfront agreements at the beginning of a meeting to bring in additional comfort when I sit with prospects. And that takes a long time. We use that as sort of a martial arts analogy. Again, the path of a black belt comes from having to go through executing uh, the same technique over and over again. Wasn't it Bruce Lee that said, I don't fear the opponent that has practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the opponent who has practiced the same kick 10,000 times. That's the ability of the path of mastery. Now the highest level is unconscious competence. And back to your e-harmony claim, that's where you are. In other words, you don't even have to think about it. It just comes out of your mouth. 
Now imagine a salesperson that no matter what is thrown at them, they handle it with ease because they're well-schooled that they don't have to think it through. They've gotten it because they practiced it. It's all deliberate practice. Yeah. And it's more like a, when you get to that level, it's more like a jujitsu move where you use their own energy against them. So when they're coming at you with a, with a negative thing, you just take it and. and throw. A buddy of mine that I trained with, I, I studied martial arts many years ago. Um, this was a buddy of mine who actually was held up at knife point at a service station uh, very late at night. He didn't even remember what happened mm-hmm. except that the guys, the guy was on the floor and his wrist was broken. Yeah, there you go. He didn't even think. And that's kind of the degree of that level of mastery comes in there because they've practiced it over and over and over again. Uh, a great video I suggest to clients is one that's done by Yitzhak Perlman, a legendary violinist. And he does these master classes on deliberate practice. Yeah. And they're amazing to watch because he talks about execution of one measure of music playing over and over and over again, below tempo, not as fast. And then he patches in the second measure from first to second. Then he patches in the third, first to third, first to fourth. And what happens is that measure, that first measure, that begins the flow of the piece, mastered. And that's interesting stuff that, again, we think about, well, how do I improve and how do I get better? That's awesome. So great. So I'm going to have all your information, contact, and likewise, and your book, the free chapter, all on thefranchiseacademy.com. So check that out. Go to thefranchiseacademy.com to check out previous episodes. Uh, A lot of good stuff out there for business owners, people thinking about getting into business, and even people that want to franchise their business. We have it all. So uh, Rob Fishman, I really appreciate your friendship and your mentorship. Say hello to everybody there. Back at you, my brother. Also, um, this is a quick shameless plug. If anybody wants to buy the book, you're welcome to. Um, We can say thank you in advance. Also, you can order it right through the website on on legend.sandler.com. You'll see it. And I think it's available also as a Kindle or Amazon product. I I will have that up on the website for sure. Thank you, sir. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for everything. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.